there are so many images in Scripture used over and over for the Spirit of God. And we're going to hit it this morning. We're going after it. Say, we're going places. Man, buckle up. I'm pumped, and I hope you are too. Hey, if you're new here, this is your first time, welcome, right? We believe that God brought you here for a reason. And as you'll see, we're talking about the Spirit. Man, God's Spirit is constantly moving, drawing us near to Him, convicting, transforming us, because that's literally the only hope we got. Your shot is not that you're good enough, that you do the right things, that through your church attendance, Bible reading, and prayer life, that you become perfect. That's not your shot. And if that's why you're here, I hope by the end you understand that's, that's not our hope. Our hope is King Jesus. Our hope is Jesus dying on the cross, resurrecting from the dead, and having faith in Him. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what we're all about here. Reading Scripture and figuring out how do we be like Jesus? How do we live like Him? Uh, if you want to grab a Bible, uh, you can turn to Ezekiel 36, John 3, and Galatians 5. Those are uh, three big touch points. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one that looks kind of like this in the seats in front of you. Um, if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take that home. Read it. Um, and we're going to mess with that. We're going to pray. Uh, again, Ezekiel 36, John 3, Galatians 5. I've got my wife's hair on me, and that'll drive me nuts. Okay, fixed. Whew, sorry, I didn't want anyone to get distracted. It's just like, wow. Uh, we're going to pray, but before we pray, I've done this a few times here. We do this almost every night with our kids. We're about to talk about how one of the understandings of God's spirit in all of scripture is breath. And one of the things that I do with my kids is, is I have them breathe. This is not my notes. This is free, but we're going to, we're going to take it out here. I'm going to have us be silent and just breathe for a minute. And here's why, because all cultures of all time have a meditative practice. And if I use the word meditation, you might have a bias or a cultural misunderstanding says, Oh, I don't do that. I don't do Easter meditation. And, and it gets tricky because Jesus's people, God's people did Eastern meditation. They were the original Eastern meditators, right? Uh, but that's beside the point. Here's a difference of understanding. When we're looking at meditation from all cultures, all the time. They will say you turn inward. You center yourself. You've got to get quiet and be centered. Do you know how they have you center? Has anyone been trained in meditation? How do you center yourself? All meditation. You breathe. Do it. Look, you can find apps in the app store, tons of apps that'll teach you. You got to calm down. You got to quiet yourself. You got to settle down. You're going crazy with busyness. You've got to meditate. And so we read a blog. Okay, I got to meditate. You download an app. And it first thing it teaches you is to breathe. Why? Because when you breathe, it does so many things for, for your neurons in your brain. It does so many things physically. When you take deep breaths, it does so many things calm you down. What if there's a misunderstanding of breathing to center ourselves? What if actually there is a God who created you, who breathed life into you? He breathed life. And your very breath is a declaration that there is something outside of you that created you. That animating force that makes your heart beat, that makes your blood move, that makes you exist is a imitation, understanding, a reference to God's spirit. That's what the Bible teaches. And so here in a moment when we breathe, we're breathing in, we're breathing out and recognizing it is the Lord who sustains life. It is the Lord who centers everything. We don't center on ourselves. We don't center on aligning whatever so that we can get folk. No, no, no. Our breath is a connection to the Lord, that he created us, that he is God. Be silent with me for a minute. Just breathe.
if it, if it helps you to avoid distraction, you can say in your mind, the Lord is my shepherd as you breathe in. And as you breathe out, you can say, I have what I need. This helps me and my kids. God, as we breathe, we pray your spirit would give us wisdom, knowledge to recognize you, the depth of, of your creative force, the depth of your spirit, the things that are, are too rich, too beautiful, too deep beyond our understanding. When we talk about fire and wind and, and water, these, these things that seem so base level to us, but then in scripture, they're so, so, so deep. God, I pray that your spirit would move as we sing these songs, fire and wind coming to it again. As the Spirit was moving over the waters, rest on us, God. We pray your Spirit would move in this place, that we would look at your word, we would hear the words of King Jesus, and your Spirit would transform us as you promised, as you said you would. I pray you would speak now as we read your word. Give us ears to hear. Amen. John 3. Jesus is talking to old Nick, Nicodemus. You've probably heard this story. We're going to read it. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, not during day, but by night. He came to him, said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, just completely juking his question. Jesus wants to go to something deeper. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, say born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Raise your hand if you're familiar with this phrase, born again. Some of you might have a direct association with a famous president who used this phrase. Here's the trick. When we talk about being born again, we impart some ideas sometimes that might not be what Jesus is saying here. Is born again just referring to Western evangelicals? Is that all it refers to? Clearly not, right? There's something else Jesus is saying here because he stops Nicodemus and he says, hey, hold on, you need to be born again. Hey, do this with me. Um, uh, if you're looking at a Bible, right? Who, who's looking at a physical Bible and sees a footnote there? There might be a little one or an A or something and it draws you back to the bottom. Come on. Someone's got one of these, right? Yeah, what is it? What's the footnote? What's the footnote? Okay, so the one, yeah, no, there should be one uh, underneath, uh, born again. Hey, there it is. So here, here's, what, here's what's happening. Greek words are tricky, right? And Hebrew words are trickier. And so there's this understanding that Jesus is saying born again, but that word can mean other things. It's similar to if I say nailed it, Right? right? Hey, how did those posters get in your wall? Nailed it. Am I saying that I physically nailed them or I hung them really well? Ah, see, there's a trick here. There's something we got to follow here. Jesus is, he's smart. Jesus is the smartest man that ever lived. He's doing something here. Jesus is saying, nailed it. He's saying, you have to be born again. You have to be born from above to even see the kingdom. Nicodemus thinks he's got it all. He's a teacher. He's a ruler. He knows it. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to see the kingdom, you want to have eyes to see, you have to be born again, born from above. There is a kingdom. There is a right world, a world in which everything God wants to happen is happening that's not corrupted by sin, evil, and death. And he's saying, if you want to see that kingdom, if you want to see how that world, the right world, the way things should be functioning, you have to be born again. You need a new start. Here's the implication. You've you got to be born again. <laughs> 
And Nicodemus gets confused and he doesn't understand. This idea of being born again, I can't, I can't go up to my mom and say, hey, we've got to start over. Can we just, this is awkward, but can we, don't think about it too much. It's awkward. Well, you can't do that. So what does he mean, be born? He's saying, you're sick, Nick. You're sick, Nick. You got something going on. You need a new beginning. You've got to start again. Something is going on. You need a new life, a real life. Something fundamental has to change in who you are. Nicodemus said to him, verse 4, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can you hear like the Jewish teacher? How can a man be born again when he's old? He's just so like confused, upset. Like what a ridiculous thing. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus, here he comes. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. So first, you want to see the kingdom? You got to be born again. You got to be born from above. But if you want to enter it, something with water and spirit is involved. There's something that happens. Born of what? Water and spirit. To enter the kingdom. This isn't a step by step or a how to. Jesus is speaking in ways that kind of make sense to Nicodemus, but kind of don't. Jesus is making a connection that something fundamental has to change. You're sick, Nick. You got to have a new start. We're all sick. We've got to have a new start. Something fundamental needs to change. Why is Jesus going here? I mean, just, you understand water. Mm, H2O, yes, I know the wet stuff, water, right? You understand water. You have some basic idea of spirit that you impart, whether you're thinking of of ghosts in movies or, or, or something in scripture you've read. You have some basic idea. Why is Jesus throwing these words at this Pharisee teacher? Ah, good thing we've been reading through Ezekiel, huh? Jesus is pointing directly to Ezekiel. He's pointing to a prophecy in Ezekiel and also one in Isaiah that talks about this very thing. If you want to turn to Ezekiel 36, we're going to make sense of Jesus talking about spirit and water. Say spirit, water. Boom, we're going to talk about it. When, when we've been reading Ezekiel uh, as a prophet in the Old Testament during the exile, and there's a lot we could say about Ezekiel, it is just... Probably the weirdest book in scripture. I think the more I've been reading it, it's, it's up there. There's so many things. I was listening to it today and I was like, what? What did you just say? Like the, the two daughters? Oh my gosh. It's, it's crazy book. Crazy stuff in there. And, and Ezekiel does all these strange things, assemblies things. Here's what stood out to me as I've been reading Spirit. Or I mean, I've been reading Ezekiel. The word spirit is used so much in there. Do you know the Old Testament book that has the word spirit the most in it? It's Ezekiel, 52 times. I didn't know that. You know, uh, the runner-up is Isaiah with 51. So good job, Zeke. Beat out Isaiah by one, right? But it's exciting. 52 times the word spirit's in there. I mean, it trumps all the other times in Scripture the Spirit's mentioned. You got to think, why? Look at Ezekiel 36. We're going to start in verse 25. The Lord is speaking to Ezekiel. He's telling him, this is a prophecy. Speak this out to people. Write this down so people know. So people thousands of years from now would read this. So people now would read this. This is the prophecy. The Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit within you. This is a big deal because so much in the scripture when we do spirit, the spirit is an acting change. The spirit is moving. But to have a spirit come within someone as a permanent dwelling. No, 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 no. The spirit does that at the tabernacle and temple. More on that in a minute. So there's an issue here where if you're a Hebrew root, you're like, oh, hold on. You're going to put your what in me? You're going to put your spirit, your, your ruach? We'll get there in a minute. Put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from your uncleanliness. Water and spirit. The Lord is fundamentally going to change his people. They're sick. They have uncleanliness. We've talked about idol worship. Go back a couple weeks ago. Talk about the secret places, these things we prop up, these things we put before God. Evil's always pulling us to the lie that there's something more important. God doesn't really love you. God won't really take care of you. You gotta do it. All these things. God says, I'm gonna cleanse you. I'm gonna sprinkle water. He's gonna sprinkle water. They're not taking the spiritual bath. God is going to clean them. And he's going to put a new heart in them through his spirit. We talk about this water. Let's, let's talk about this. Where else in scripture, when you hear water and spirit, do you know the first place that's mentioned in scripture? Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit hovered. I, I feel like I do this every time. Have I quoted this a lot and I do this? This is my move, right? The Spirit hovering. Yeah, so if you remember anything, remember this. The Spirit hovered over the waters. Tobu vabohu. We don't have time to unpack that. But the Spirit, God's ruah, was hovering over the waters, right? I just made a video on this yesterday because we don't have fully time to unpack this. But just think of all the times you see water in Scripture. I threw a few up here, right? Water is chaos in the beginning. It is a chaos disorder. And then the spirit hovers over it because the water doesn't control the spirit. The spirit controls the water. That's a point. And it comes in there and then you see it as judgment. Is water always good in scripture? No. Remember the flood, right? So you see judgment, but also you see water cleansing and purifying. You see it sustaining life. Rivers flowing out from the garden of Eden, right? You see rivers flowing out. The spirit, the wind pushing back the waters of the Red Sea, so that they can pass through, right? Jesus walks on water. Jesus uh, casts out demon pigs into water, right? Again, with the chaos of water, there's streams of living water. Jesus says in John 4, water I give, streams. They'll produce streams of living water from people. When Jesus is pierced in his side, blood and water flow from him. Baptism. Man, I was just talking to a guy uh, Friday. He's given his life to the Lord. He wants to be baptized. And he's telling me about how he was here and that God's speaking to him so much that he felt God on him. He had to go out in the foyer and he gets on his knees because it's so heavy. And he said, I was scared, but I had peace. I'm so excited for you to hear this guy's story in a few weeks. And he understands that we were talking about baptism. I was like, man, if you look at all the way water's used in scripture, baptism is so much deeper than we can fully grasp. Thank God. Thank God God has given us these symbols to point back to him, to understand. Is, is the baptism symbolizing chaotic waters that we're being pulled through? Yes. Is it symbolizing purifying waters of the Father that flow through the blood and water of Jesus Christ? Yes. Is it symbolizing God's judgment of the grave? Yes, but we're coming out of that. Baptism has so much in it. And it's all pointing to King Jesus, to look to Jesus. More on that here in a minute. Water in Scripture is consistently a theme that points to God controlling and reviving. He's in charge. He's cleansing. Enough on water. We've got to move to spirit. In the Bible, the word spirit is ruach. I've said this so much here. Say ruach. You got 
so good. Ruach, dude, it's, it's my favorite word in scripture. It transforms so many ways that I, I think about the world just because I start understanding. What if, what if God is constantly moving with his spirit, his animating force? Here's what the word ruach means. Uh, there's some things here. Uh, Holy spirit or just spirit. It can also mean breath or wind. It's also a life animating force empowered and sustained by the Lord's presence. And as you see these things, you start understanding a little bit more about temple. You start understanding a little bit more about tabernacle. You start understanding the Lord's presence, the wind that comes during these times, the cloud, right? These things all connect because God has this powerful animating force force that gives us life, that sustains existence. There's not a word for this. We have a limitation of language. And so, so the Hebrews said, ah, this is, this is God's spirit. It's also breath and wind because we see wind blow down trees and we have to guard ourselves from wind because the wind can blow and mess up everything. But we also see that we need the wind. We breathe in. The wind can come and go. And we also understand that there's this animating force through us breathing. And when someone dies, that animation just leaves them. Have you ever watched someone die? Something beyond physical is happening. Like just something. Ah, we don't have words for that. We can say, oh, their soul is leaving. Their spirit's leaving. We don't know. Those words are hard. We don't know what they, this means. We do know that God has a powerful force. And scripture tells us it's his spirit. And it connects with breath and wind and animation. And we see this hovering over the waters. Uh, we see the wind and cloud. We see the parting of the Red Sea. We see God's presence in wind and cloud falling on the tabernacle. We see these faithful folks filled with God's ruach. We see the temple, God's cloud and wind again filling the temple. And then we see it leave. We read that a couple weeks ago. His spirit, his wind, his cloud leaves the temple. And then uh, we're not going to get as much time to cover it over the next few weeks. But uh, when Nehemiah and Ezra, and they, we have these rebuilding of the temple the Shekinah glory, the cloud, it doesn't return. Why? Why doesn't God come back in his temple? Because Ezekiel says, because God prophesied, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to come into you and fundamentally change you. My presence, my ruach, my animating force will dwell in you and it will fundamentally change you. Water and spirit, it will fundamentally change you. He's going to do it. Go back to the verse. Pull up Ezekiel 36 again. Look at the underlines. It's so powerful. I will do it. I will cleanse you with water. I will take away, I will cleanse you from your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. I will, I will, I will. I will be your God. God's going to do it. What do you do? You look to the Lord. You look to Jesus. More on that in a minute. Here's the message of Ezekiel made very, very clear. We need this new, we need this new heart. We're sick. We need a new heart and it involves water and spirit and we can't do it. He will do it. Say he will do it. John 3, 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? How can these things be? He's so perplexed. He's just, you hear it. He's just like, and here's the thing. Nicodemus was a what? A Pharisee. Homie knew more, more than you. I don't care how Sunday school teacher you are. Nicodemus knew more than you. He memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? He, he memorized the Torah. He knew the 613 laws. He knew more scripture than you. Jesus is talking to him about Ezekiel, scripture he would be very familiar with. And he says, I don't understand. I've been teaching the Bible for decades and you got something new to teach to me. Hey, may that humble you if you think you know the Bible well. Nicodemus knew it better and Jesus still had something to teach him. Something really important, actually something that would save him and give him eternal life. He still doesn't get it, but Jesus 
like a loving teacher who's welcoming outsiders. He just keeps digging in. Look at John 3, 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. This is Jesus talking. The son of man. This is the most referred to phrase Jesus has for himself. We're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. The son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What? This seems like a weird like deep cut out of nowhere. We're going to read it again. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now we get to the verse that's on your coffee cup. Now you know the context. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How? Well, because the Son of Man's being lifted up. What does that mean? Well, you remember Moses lifting up the serpent? You remember that story? I think we preached on it. Did we preach on that or did that one we didn't get to? I don't know. It's, it's been a big year. We've done a lot. So Numbers 21, the people have this constant thing in Israel. They're like, no, you pulled us out of, you know, uh, you pulled us out of Exodus or, and you pulled us out of the, the Egyptian slavery, but we're just complaining. And it's such a short passage. It happens in like five verses. It's a really small story, but the story goes like this. They're complaining and don't trust Moses and the Lord again. And so God releases serpents to bite them. <laughs> That's my serpent. <laughs> All right. A- anyone love snake bites? No. Who here is just terrified of snakes, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm afraid of snakes. I just, I don't like the snakes can be where you don't know they're at. It's like, oh, they always live under the house. I didn't know that. You know what I mean? Snakes are everywhere. There's probably bugs inside your house you don't know about. Sorry, live with it. Anyway, so the serpents, they come and they're biting people, right? And these people are getting sick and dying. And so they repent. God releases the evil of their rebellion on them. Serpents all through scripture represent evil, fallen evil, right? We could talk about seraphim, the catch of the word serpent, all that. We don't have time for that. But it, a lot of times, because Genesis 3, Revelation 21, serpents, they're symbolizing evil. And so God is releasing this evil on them. Hey, you know what? Trust me, your rebellion will find you out. Your sin will find you out. And it looks like a serpent biting you and killing you. And so these people repent. They're like, God, okay, we're sorry. We were wrong. We, we should have trusted you. We're so dumb. We're constantly rebellious. Please forgive us. And what does God do? He has Moses make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. Where have you seen this before? A serpent on a pole. Ah, yeah. Is there a doctor in the house? hey <laughs> uh, Anyway, sorry. Uh, my man Garrett. So they've got the serpent, right? But actually, some people are arguing, actually, the serpent would have been this way. And the pole would have been this way, looking like a cross. That's beside the point. So... Moses makes this bronze serpent. Bronze in scripture is a symbol of judgment oftentimes. This isn't a a pull of sin, but judged sin. And what do the people have to do? They have to look to it. They look to it and they're healed. Their sin is dealt with. The consequences, the death, the serpent biting, it's dealt with in the same way he made him who had no sin become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In Numbers 21 story, I think we've got a slide that kind of, yeah, there you go. Thank you. It wasn't about what they did, but what they looked to, who they looked to. Surely some people didn't. They're like, this is foolish. This is dumb. You mean I just looked to the serpent? Come on, Moses. I still don't trust you. Like you're just doing that religious junk, that hokey stuff. And they died. They're gone forever. But those who looked, they trusted. It wasn't just about them looking. It was about them not having a stiff neck. It was about them turning and saying, I trust. 
I believe in God, in the ones God has sent. It's their faith that healed them. And then here Jesus comes and says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's directly referring to what? The cross. The Son of Man must be lifted up. It's too powerful of an image. Do you understand how God has put Scripture together? Man, this isn't my notes either, but I get so geeky about this. Water, it connects all through Scripture. It's also the main nutrient we need to sustain life. Do you think God's trying to tell you something? Wind, spirit, animating force. Do you think God's trying to tell you something? Now, this story way back, thousands of years before Jesus ever existed. Oh my gosh. It all connects. Why? God's trying to tell you something. God's been doing the same thing over and over, calling a people to him, taking on their punishment, taking on their judgment, and saying, look to me, trust me. And then in Ezekiel, he says, I will fundamentally change you. You've got a sick heart. You're going to keep looking to rebellion. You're going to keep going away, and the serpent's going to bite you, and you will die. But I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And Jesus says, this happens by the Son of Man being lifted up. He is saying the Lord is going to place the judgment of sin all the ways everyone turns away and doesn't trust the Lord. All that is going to be placed on him, on Jesus. And when everyone looks to him, they will be saved from judgment and punishment and have eternal life. Or Jesus says like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, they won't perish. They won't die like a serpent bite that kills them, like their sin that finds them. They won't die. They'll have eternal life. John, in his gospel, he continues to unpack this idea of spirit, and it's, it's so rich. Uh, in John 14, 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. The reason I come back to this verse so often is if you want to understand the Holy Spirit, you can pull from Paul, and you can try your best to make sense of the vague things Paul says, and you can form an entire theology after Paul. But let's start with what Jesus says, because he's the Son of God, and he knows the Spirit better than me. And Jesus says this. If you want to understand the Holy Spirit, he's going to come. It's going to come into you. And what is he going to do? He's going to teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. He's going to have you look to Jesus. The Spirit is going to draw you like Moses with the serpent. Like the Son of Man has to be ascended. You're going to look to Jesus. Thank God for his Spirit. Is the Spirit calling you to look to Jesus? Why do you keep turning from it? Why do you keep seeing this as hokey religious stuff or meaningless things? I don't need to get baptized. I don't need to join a church. I'll do it when I'm older. I'll do it when I'm dead. You ain't got time. You're sick. The serpent's biting you. Your sin will find you. You're going to die. You have no control. Jesus was lifted up. He was crucified for your sin, for your punishment. All the things that eternally condemn, damn you away from God. Jesus died for it. And he defeated it by being raised again on the third day. And he says, when you look to me, My spirit enters you and it causes you to continue to look to me, to fundamentally change you. Now Ezekiel makes sense. Hold on. Ezekiel said, I need to be purified with water. I need to have a new heart. His spirit needs to change me. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you all things, bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Jesus was resurrected from the grave. He appears to his disciples in John 20. Verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, that's an important note that John feels like it's important to us to know. Hey, these doors were locked, okay? 
Like Jesus, he don't care about no locked doors. You might be locking your door. Jesus is coming after you, right? I think John's trying to say something here, right? The doors are locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They didn't, they didn't want anyone coming to them, right? We've got we to hide. We're scared. Jesus came and stood among them. Ain't no locked door stopping Jesus. And he says, peace be with you. Can you imagine? Ah! Peace be with you. Why? Because he was dead. And now he's there. And he says, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them, hear this. He showed them his hands. He showed them his side. The same side that flowed blood and water. Shows them these things. Disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Catch this. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he... Say it like you mean it. He did what? He breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Ruach. Say ruach. Come on. It's too good. What is God doing in scripture? It's all connected. I get so pumped about this. He breathed on them. Receive the Spirit. This same Spirit that fundamentally changes you. The same Spirit that, that Ezekiel promised would give you a new heart receive the spirit. And then we have the great commission. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. It's right there. That's why I'm looking at it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the, name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit. Baptism is involved. The father, the son, the Holy spirit's involved. Water and spirit. Come on. Like it's everywhere. Water and spirit, Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Who teaches you? The Holy spirit. Teach you to observe all of command. You behold, I am with you always, even until the end of age. And so what happens? The disciples go out and do they fail? No, they change the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know the second book in the Bible that has the word spirit in it most? Acts. The book of Acts. It's actually, that's fair. Touche, because I said it, right? It's Isaiah. The Greek word is pneuma, right? And so if you do, if you do a comparison of just the word spirit and the Septuagint, you don't care. But anyway, the book of Acts. And Acts is the story of them going out. We, we walked through it. The first couple years we, we started preaching, Adam and I, we walked through the book of Acts. And we said it should be called the Acts of the Spirit, not Acts of the Apostles, because it's the Spirit who's done all these things. Acts 1a says, but you will receive power. Say power. Come on. Power. Say it like you know what it means. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Just like Jesus says in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Power. What power? Thank you for explaining this scripture. Romans 8. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, serpents biting you, your rebellions found you, you're dying. Although it's dead, the spirit of life, uh, the spirit of life because of righteousness. The body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. Catch this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. The same power. Have you ever seen someone raised from the dead? The same power that raised Christ. Christian, like, do you believe that? Do you believe that God's spirit has breathed into you? That he's fundamentally changed you? That you have power? That you've received power? That, that cleanses your mortal body? That gives you eternal life? That, that says you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead? Paul makes this very clear for us. Ephesians 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, say heard. 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in Jesus Christ, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Sealed. Locked in. Same language used for when kings stamp and seal things. It's mine. I'm the king. It belongs to me. Same Greek word. When you hear the gospel, you're hearing it right now, and you believe in it. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The same Spirit that teaches you all things and reminds you of Jesus. The same Spirit that Ezekiel said will fundamentally change you. If you believe in Jesus, you're sealed with it eternally. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Why? How? Because His Spirit enters you, fundamentally changes you, and seals you. Have you looked to Jesus in faith? Are you still looking to other stuff? If you have, then you're sealed in his spirit. You're being transformed by him to live as you were created to live. There's two places we got to go before we close. We got to talk. We got to talk to the church and then we got to connect it to each of us individually, right? Bear with me. We got to get there because otherwise it's just idea. Okay, the spirit, what do I do with that? The spirit's in me. I have power. What next? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 and verse 7. There is an hour of information on 1 Corinthians 12. I can't cover it. So if you're a Holy Spirit person who studied a ton, if you've studied spiritual gifts, please give me some grace because it's 10, 12, and I can't spend an hour on spiritual gifts, but we'll get there, I promise, because the Spirit gifts you. Amen? Thank you. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, that Greek word's so helpful, it's spiritual thingies spiritual stuffs, because there were spiritual things happening. This comes right after the verses we read about the Lord's Supper. And Paul's giving a list. He's saying, hey, you know the gospel? That's part of the beginning of 1 Corinthians. You remember that gospel thing of Jesus? Well, here's how it applies to how you're messing up by, uh, by kick, kicking the poor out during Lord's Supper. Also, here's how it applies to the spiritual thing he's happening in. You have these supernatural gifts, these things coming out of you. You guys are missing it. It's causing division. So Paul's to give them advice. So it's about spiritual thingies. I don't want you to be uninformed. Another word for confused. I don't want you to be dumb about this. Verse 7. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead in you. And you are gifted. You are gifted. I don't want to hear you say, ah, I'm not supposed to work with kids. I'm not supposed to play in the band. I'm not supposed to make coffee. I'm not supposed to preach. I'm not supposed to teach. I'm not supposed to... Stop. You are gifted. And your gift is not to sit here navel-gazing, just taking in the passionate preaching from some sermon. That's not why you're gifted. You're gifted for what? What does it say? For the common good. Say common good. Common good, we understand good being tov, the objective understanding that God is doing what is good. How do you know what's good? You look to Jesus. You are gifted to serve in the church. Why? Because the church is his body. His kingdom come. His will be done. That is why you're gifted. That's why you're here. That's why you believe in Jesus. And if you're missing that, if you're just sitting, if you're not even questioning, how should I be gifted? Or if you're saying, oh, I'm only gifted to play guitar on Sundays. That's it. That's all he gave me. You're missing it. Because it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Who are you to control and say you understand it? Who are you to say I'm only gifted in this way? You don't know what you don't know. I could have told you years ago, I would never do this. I'm not going to be a hired holy man. Churches hurt people. It's corrupt. I don't want to do it. Here we are. (laughs) Welcome. Right? I've talked to so many. I would never teach, man. And I've watched them disciple and lead people to Christ. The Spirit has gifted you. If you're a Christian, please 
Ask the Spirit this morning when we have response time. Man, how are you gifting me? You say I have power. What does that look like? How do I look to Jesus in that? Here's where we're going to land. Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Lean in. This is important. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Verse 19. The works of the flesh. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these, which includes probably another list of 150 plus things, right? Try to make a list of things like those. Take you a while. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They need a new vision. They need to see things differently and enter something differently. How? But the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit enters you, if you're like, okay, I've got this power, the Spirit enters me, what do I do? Here it comes. Here's your words. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They've looked to Jesus crucified. He was on the cross. You're looking to him because the Son of Man had to be lifted up. If you want to live in Christ, if you want to say, I value love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and you're like, oh, I like those words. I wish those words were in my family. I wish the world had more peace. You have to look to Jesus because only through King Jesus, who the Son of man was lifted up, who died, who took on your judgment, who took on his punishment, only through looking to him does his spirit enter you and cause these things to happen. Listen to me. I'm begging you. Look at these lists. There's two lists here. The works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. Do you see these things in your life? Can you be honest with yourself? I can't walk up to a tomato plant that's dying because we can't take care of plants. I can't walk up to it and I can't say, I'm just really going to water and prune this well so that I have strawberries in a few weeks. You would say I'm crazy. Lanny and Sharon are the best gardeners I know. And they would say, David, no matter how good a garden you are, your tomatoes cannot fundamentally become strawberries. That's stupid. But this is what we do. We look at the works of our flesh and we say, I'm just going to do really hard. I'm going to do something. The Bible is saying you are sick. You have something fundamental that has to change you. And thank the Lord that Jesus Christ's spirit, his breath enters you and it fundamentally changes you. If you want love, joy, peace, patience, God, you want any of those things, it only comes through the spirit. There are two marks of a Christian that we can constantly come back to. You see increased victory over sin in Christ, which implies that you understand what sin is because the Spirit is convicting and revealing sin in your life. And so maybe you don't do that. Maybe you don't look to sin in your life because you think you've arrived. Like, I don't need to, I don't have any sin. I'm just going to keep doing, ah, no, no. You're constantly seeking, Lord, search me and know me. See what ways are off in me. You have increased victory over sin in Christ. You have increased fruit of the Spirit. If you're watching from home, if you're in this room, God brought you here for a reason. Please listen to me despite all the distractions, just hear me. When you look at those lists, there's a list of the works of the flesh, a list of the works of the spirit. If there's something that's standing out to you that is not a fruit of the spirit, or it's a fruit of the spirit that you desire, maybe it's God's spirit moving in you now to look to Jesus. Maybe you don't know Jesus. You've never given him your life. 
The Spirit is all through Scripture. He's talking about fire, wind, clouds, water. There's all these things there. But the fundamental understanding is that it needs to change you. It has to transform you. God says he will do it, and he's done it. And maybe this is just churchy stuff you've heard all the time. Oh, I've got the fruit of the spirits on my refrigerator at home, on my coffee cup, on, a, on an ornament my kids made for me. That's fine. Maybe you, you've locked it all in. You can memorize and say it just as fast as I am, and you know the coconut song and all that, but stop. God brought you here today for a reason, church. Person, Christian, unbeliever, whoever you are, God brought you here for a reason. And we're going to, in a moment, have a time of response. And this is your time. This is your time to say, Am I going to look to Jesus or am I going to look to something else? Am I going to be like the people who say, ah, that's stupid. I don't need to, that's religious mumbo. I don't need to look to anything. I've got it all figured out. Is that you? Look at the list. Like, what's coming out of you? Sexual immorality, impurities, anger, fits of rage. Come on. Or do you see peace, joy, love coming out of you? I can't drill this hard enough because it's a constant struggle in my house in my family, in my heart. It's a constant struggle. And so I look to Jesus because that's the only hope. That's the only shot I got. I can't be better. I can't be good enough. The spirit has to change me. And so maybe in this time, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. What are you waiting for? Like, like he's, he's brought you here today. So the son of man was lifted up. Look to Jesus in faith. Maybe you've never joined the church. You're like, man, okay, I, I get it. You keep saying, join the church. What does that look like? We have a whole process. Come talk to me. We've got a membership covenant. It means something to be a member of our church because it means something to follow Jesus. We need each other. We need to hold each other accountable. We don't want people who just sit and don't follow Christ because that's not what you're called to. Not because we need to build our church to be big and awesome, but because there's a king and a kingdom. And what it means to truly live is to look to Jesus. And we don't want you to miss that. Maybe now is your time to join the church. Maybe you've never been baptized and you're hearing this stuff about water and all the kinds of, man, oh gosh, maybe, maybe I need to be baptized. This is your time. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I believe, because we've been praying, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. And you might be hot. You might be sick that the time's gone over. You might be distracted by your phone. You might be like, I don't need to hear. I've heard you say it all before today, blah, blah, Stop, please. I'm begging you. Take a moment. Open your hands as we sing this song and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Because we don't have a shot without that. None of us are good enough. My addictions are less in my life because of Jesus Christ and his spirit being in me. I'm married to that woman and I'm not some guy with seven illegitimate children who constantly is such a jerk seeking after more and more sex. I'm not that guy because his spirit changed me. I'm here today hearing stories of people giving their life to Christ and being fundamentally transformed because of Jesus' spirit changing me. Don't miss this. This is your time to respond. I'm going to be standing up here. If you need to pray, if you have no idea how to respond, just come up here and pray. Just say, I don't know. Something's happening. Let's pray. Stand, open your hands, ask the spirit to move. God, I want to continue to wrestle and to plead because I know how important it is in my life. And I know what you've shown me. But we also understand our limitation. Your spirit gives life. Your spirit changes us. Jesus is everything. And God, I ask right now, if I, whatever I say, whatever's wrong, whatever thing, I pray your word would move, that we'd see the works of the flesh, that we'd see the fruit of your spirit, and that we would look to you 
to fundamentally change the roots of our life, to fundamentally change who we are, to be who Christ has called us to be. I pray for those who need to join a church. I pray for those watching from home, for for people who don't know the Lord, God. We pray that your spirit would move, that they would look to you and they would simply say, I need Jesus. I can't do it on my own. I'm a sinner and my only hope is Jesus. May your spirit enter me. God, we trust you. Guide us as we take this time to respond to you. Amen. If you need to talk, if you need to pray, be up here.